0: Something's happening in the news, and Pastor Bolden spoke about this maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, I believe, that I was trying uh, to avoid speaking about, because he did a pretty good job telling us. But I'm going to cover um, an aspect of what I'm seeing, because I feel it's important, especially when we talk about the history of the church. Now, if you've been watching the news for the past several weeks, you may have been aware of the situation that is happening in Israel. Attacks by um, terrorist attacks that are happening in Israel, etc. And uh, obviously, this has been all in the news and images have been shown in the news, etc. And it's a pretty horrible situation. I don't don't think any human being can justify what's happening. But what I want to address is that there is a particular um, insistence or demand that is made of Christians that basically makes it seem, seem that you have to stand with Israel almost as if that is a condition of Christianity, that's something that you have to do. And that all comes from a particular modern teaching that says that the modern state of Israel has a covenant with God and that they are de facto chosen people and that therefore we as Christians have to always stand with them no matter what. Now, while I do not agree with that doctrine, nor do I think it's necessarily biblical or historical, that's not a problem. We all agree to disagree when it comes to certain doctrines. That's fine. The problem comes when a claim is made that if you do not agree with this teaching, that you hate the Jews, or that you are an anti-Semite. The problem with that is that you're calling somebody a hateful, racist person over a disagreement of a doctrine. If you have a doctrinal disagreement, you put your arguments based on the scripture. We can all look at it and we can disagree. You can say I'm wrong. You can call me a false teacher. I'm fine, but I'm going to lose sleep. But when you make accusations like that, either you don't have an argument or you're not bothering to make an argument because that's a pretty serious claim. You have a racist hatred of a particular people. It's a pretty strong claim that they're making. And so what I would like to do is to show you why they are Christians that do not hold to this understanding of Israel and whether or not the Bible even teach that view, which I believe it does. And so, the claim is that the Jewish people, the modern state of Israel, still maintains a covenant with God, and that the church is a parenthesis on God's plan. And they call this replacement, and any idea that is contrary to that, if you believe that the church is the fulfillment of God's purposes, they call this replacement Theology. And they claim that we believe that the church has replaced Israel, which is not what we believe. Amen. We believe that in Christ all the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were fulfilled in Him. Amen. So therefore, anyone who is in Him now is a chosen people of God. Right. And that the promises, all that God promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Right. We believe that that is exactly what the New Testament teaches. And prior to the mid 1800s, it was basically all that Christians believed. We also believe that God indeed fulfilled his promises to the remnant of Jews, those Jews who believe in Christ. And he established a new covenant with them, years prior to the Gentile being added to the church. But we do not believe that God has any covenant with anybody outside of Christ. we also do not believe that God established or maintains a covenant with any Jew that rejected him, which is clearly taught in the Bible. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus even called the religious people in Israel, he told them, your father is the devil, not because they were Jews. But because they have rejected him as the promised Messiah. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but out of the synagogue of Satan. The churches in the New Testament were made up of Jews and Greeks, they were mixed. The church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, was made up of Jews and Greeks. Some churches have more Jews, some churches have more Gentiles. It was a mix. So he's saying to these churches that there are some who claim that are Jews But are of the synagogue of Satan. He is referring to those who are now outside of Christ. In Romans chapter 2, verse 2, we are told no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. See, what happened in the New Testament, when Christ comes, he is the seed of Abraham. In Galatians, let me um, show this to you. You go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, now the promises were made to Abraham, to his offspring. He is referring to something that happened in Genesis, chapter 12. God calls Abraham, he makes some promises, and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you and with your offspring. Now if you read that in the Old Testament, just remember, the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. So if all you have is the Old Testament and you read the Old Testament, then you make the assumption, rightly so, that he's referring to the descendants of Abraham. That was true, in a sense. But Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, interprets that for us. And he says, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one who is Christ. Christ is the seed of Abraham. So when God made promises to Abraham and to his offspring, what he was really doing is that he was given promises to Abraham and to Christ. and Christ would receive the promises of that covenant. He goes on to say, this is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. In other words, God made a covenant with Moses to put you in a land to give you a law and to make you a special people. And they were. That covenant was conditional upon their obedience. But what he is saying is, you cannot hold to a covenant for that covenant that God made with Moses does not take away the covenant that he already made with Abraham and with Christ. And so, he goes on to say, because he's making a point, for the inheritance, verse 18, is, comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? Why did God give him the law? Through Moses, it was added because of transgression, until the offspring should come, that would be Jesus, to whom the promise had been made, that was Christ, And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. He's talking about Jewish people. In prison until the coming faith would be revealed. Then he concludes. This is important. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all in Christ Jesus, and if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the Bible." So if you are in Christ, you are sons of Abraham. This is written to Galatians, a Gentile city, and he's speaking to Gentile people, telling them, if you are in Christ, you are a son of Abraham. And those who are outside of Christ, Jew or Gentile, are not sons of Abraham. In John chapter 8, the Jews, when Jesus is debating with the Jewish people, they tell him, we are sons of Abraham. Jesus says, God can raise children out of wisdom. If you we sons of Abraham. You would believe in me like he did, but you dumb because you don't because your father is the devil. This is John eight forty four. God's covenant is with the believing Jews and the Gentiles that have been grafted in. We so didn't replace Israel are grafted into the true Israel, which were the true believers. Romans chapter 9. In Romans 9, Paul is dealing with the issue that the nation of Israel during his time was not believing in Jesus. Many Jews believed in Jesus. The church was Jewish for the first couple of years. Thousands and thousands of Jews. But the Jewish authorities, the Jewish religious people, And probably the vast majority of the people in Israel will not believe They will reject the Messiah. And so, the problem with that is, Paul, if you're claiming what you're claiming, then how is it then that these people are not believing and God made promises in the Old Testament about the house of Israel and how he's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Well, the house of Israel is not believing that God messed up. He failed. Right? This is a... This is, a, this is not a good plan, Paul said. <clears throat> verse 6, nine, chapter 9, verse 6. It, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all that are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Paul gives two examples here. Okay? Number one, just because you are a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean that you're part of the promise. Because Ishmael is a descendant of Abraham and has as much claim to the DNA of Abraham as Isaac. He didn't get promises, and he didn't get a covenant. Because just because you're first does not mean that you get the promise. That's the point. Or, because you're a descendant of Abraham, does not necessarily mean you get the promise. And then the example of Jacob and Esau, Esau being born first, Jacob second, just because you're first, does not mean you get the promise. That was the point he's making. Then he goes on to say, that while it is true God made promises to Israel, the problem is, and this has always been true, that not all of Israel was Israel. Only those who believed in the promises and trust of God were always to be considered the true Israel. Verse 29 of the same chapter. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth or land fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would be like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And so, though the Israeli nation was many, only a remnant, only those who believe, received the promise. So what does that leave us? Well, the Gentiles, and Romans 11, came later. God gave His promises and made a new covenant with the house of Israel, the believing Jews, the true Israel. Then the Gentiles were grafted in. In verse 17 of chapter 11 of the book of Romans, But if some of the branches were broken off, those unbelieving Israel, and you, Gentiles, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. We, Gentiles, were grafted into the tree of true Israel, because the covenant that God made with them was conditional. If you obey and keep my commandments. Exodus 19 verse 3 says, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him, called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. If you keep my word and my covenant, you should be to me a pressure, by treasured people, a holy nation. We see from Matthew 24 that the Jewish authorities rejected Jesus. In fact, the Romans didn't want to deal with Jesus if you look at Pilate. They didn't care for any of this. They were pressured by the Jewish authorities to kill Jesus. Which, of course, we know that was God's plan. And we also know that we all killed Jesus. Because our sin put him on the cross. But historically, that's how the events happen. And we also know that when Pilate tells them. You know, behold your king, they said to Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. In other words, we're rejecting this messiah guy, and we're claiming the pagan emperor Caesar. we will rather claim a pagan emperor than the promised messiah. What they said is recorded in the gospel. We see that Jesus, having predicted all this, has predicted the destruction of the temple and the end of that covenant. But the end of that covenant that God had with them as a people does not mean that He ended the covenant that He had with Abraham, because the covenant that God made with Abraham was not only for his physical descendants, but it was that through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. God fulfilled that promise. That was the heart of the promise. It was not a land or some real estate. The heart of the promise that was in Abraham and in his seed, Jesus Christ, God was going to bring himself to all the families of the world. And he was going to give himself to them and live with them and in them through the Holy Spirit. That was the heart of the promise. 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to Him, a living stone, So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. They disobey the word. Gentiles didn't have the word. They didn't have the scriptures. The Jewish nation did. But now, verse 9, now you, 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 Gentile, Greek, Jew, whoever are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness, received mercy but now you have received mercy Treasure possession that you may now declare the excellences of Him who called you out of darkness into light. Now, you as a Gentile, you get all the descriptions that God had given to the nation of Israel in the past, which they lost through disobedience, but they are fulfilled in Christ. <coughs> so, any person is a Jewish person who wants to be part of the covenant of God and wants to receive the promises, they will get them in Christ, not outside of Christ. There's no promises outside of Christ. In the book of Revelation, you see the exact same language. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, this is not Israel, this is in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. <laughs> to him who loves us and hath freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a king, (coughs) priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. John was a Jew, writing to Gentile churches, and he is saying he has made us, you and I, a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, a chosen nation, a covenant people, outside of Christ, There is no such designation to anybody. So the question is what do we make of Israel? The nation, the modern state of Israel. The secular modern state of Israel. They're lost and they need the Gospels like everybody else. And to separate them from the rest of the lost world, and claim that they have a special covenant, is to prevent the gospel from getting to them. We want to reach the Muslims, rightly so, we want to reach Buddhists, but Israel is Special nation. They need Jesus. They're not special. Nobody's special. They need Jesus. Because outside of Christ, they're not gonna get anything. We pray about the persecution of the Muslim countries, rightly so. But we don't pray about the persecution in Israel. Preaching the gospel publicly in Israel. Is illegal. It's against the law. Becoming an Israeli citizen requires you to renounce the Christian faith and embrace Judaism. Which is a false religion. That's no different than any other Muslim country that I know. Christianity and Israel is about 2% of the population. 75% of that 2% is Arab. It's only like 0.5% of Jews or Christians. Of course, you're on the persecution. Like the Arab Christians are also on the persecution. By the state. This is illegal. Most people have never heard of this in their lives. You can look it up. It's true. They're lost. They're outside of Christ. They need Jesus. They need the gospel. And who's going to bring them the gospel? How can they hear without a preacher? Where do preachers come from? They come from the church. God's agency of change in the world. God's covenant people from every nation under heaven the only engine in the world that can change nations build civilizations change cultures is the church of the living God. Paul says is the pillar and foundation of the truth. There's a building called truth. The pillar The column that holds that building, called truth, is the church, according to the Apostle Paul. The only thing that can change anything. Missionaries going out, suffering, dying, and changing societies. That's the history of the world. Church history is important because you will see that us standing here in this nice room with air conditioning, and light and technology will not have happened if the apostles didn't go out to the world to preach. The church gave them this. The church taught the world how to read. In the Roman Empire, nobody could read except the rich people. But in the Bible, we're told that we should be acquainted with the scriptures. And that we should read the word of God. Well, how can you read the word of God? Most people didn't know how to read. But if they went to church and they became Christian, the word of God was read aloud. And the preachers were trained to read. And then other people were taught how to read. Language was perfected in order to explain and copy this book, this book had to be translated from Greek to Syrian to Latin. Language had to be perfected to do that. People had to be trained on how to interpret it. Universities had to be built, centers to train people how to do it. Philosophy had to be looked at in order to explain the doctrines of the Bible. There came science, and mathematics, and universities. This is not just a religious book. This is a civilization building manual. The future doesn't just happen. Someone builds the future. If we're not building the future, somebody else will build it children will live in the world that is being built for them. So if we don't build it, somebody else will build it. And they're going to build it based on nothing. because They don't have God. And they don't have the Bible. And they don't have the truth. So they'll build it based on whatever they think is right. What is right to the world. Whatever they think is right. Anything could be right. We don't even know what a woman is anymore. What is a woman? There's a movie, it's in the documentary. What is a woman? That's how insane. It's literally sad to see where the world's going. We live in a time. Political agendas. We live in a time of lies. We live in a time of media and news that lie it. We know, we've seen this in the last couple of years, how they manipulate your opinion based on the lies that they tell. We cannot allow ourselves as Christians to be influenced by what we see. We know they lie. In the last couple of years, we've seen that. We know how they use footage from different wars and claim, oh, Russia did this, and then they find out, oh, that's a footage from another thing that happened 20 years ago. They do that, and they pass it on. They do that noise. We don't know what's happening in the world other than what we see in the news. We can't let that become how we understand the future and how we understand our lives as Christians. We don't know. They're liars and the media. We know this. This is not a conspiracy theory. We know this is true. They have agendas, political agendas. We, Christians and the church, don't follow political agendas. We make the agenda. We are the ones who make the agenda. We are the ones who have the word of God. And we have the truth. And we set the tone of where the future is going to be. We are the ones. Because we are the ones who follow the true, only living God. We are the ones. If this book is true, we are the ones who follow the true, living God. And we always have So we set the agenda. We don't follow it. And So what I see, accusations of hate over something that the Bible plainly teaches and the only thing that can really and truly offer real hope for any Jewish person, which is the gospel of the living God. Nothing else. Nothing. You don't have Christ. You have nothing. If you have Christ, you get everything, because everything was fulfilled in Him. Israel is a missionary issue. Your... We need to see them as we see anybody else—lost, hopeless, needing Jesus Christ, same as their Muslim neighbors or anybody else. Irregardless of what you think politically should happen, they need Jesus. They don't have a special covenant with God outside of Jesus Christ. They need to get saved. And the problem that I see is that we are neglecting that. Because we're putting a boundary there. They're special. Just forget about them. Pray for the Muslim neighbors. Leave them alone. No. Pray for them. They need Jesus. Too. Because outside of Christ, they them. Now, why is this important? Because in the history of the church that we're covering, in church history, we have to understand what the church is cover church history, you have to understand what is the church? The church is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Is what God always wanted. A people. A people that would give themselves to him and that he would give himself to them. That's what he always wanted. From the beginning. That's why he created Adam. Well, he gets that in Christ and his people, which is the church, and he gets men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation and race and nationality, he gets them in Christ, in the church. God gives himself to his people, as his people give himself to him. And he lives with them. And leads them. And loves them. And heals them. And restores them. And forgives them. And cleanses them. And will live with them. For all eternity. And forever. That's hope. Better than a piece of land. That's the hope of the world. The church is God's people. It's where He lives. It's where He dwells. And it's where He has fulfilled all the promises that we see in the Bible, which are in Him. And those who are in Him receive them. And the history of the church, as we cover it, will show that. And you will see as it progresses and as she suffered and how she dies. And then comes back and struggles and conquers and moves from place to place to place to place all the way down to us here today. And in many other places where she's still moving, you will see that promise that he was going to be with them. And that he was going to be, we were going to be his people and him their God. You will see that fulfilled in the history of the church. 2,000 years and how long God keeps us here, I don't know because God is good. And God is not good in theory. He's good for real. And you will see that bared out really, truly in history. We are God's people. I have no political... I don't know who can fix America, God. Who can fix it? Who can fix Colombia? God can't. How is God gonna do that? Through his people, through his church. God is not gonna come down and just walk. I mean, he, he could, I don't know. That would be awesome if he would come down and go to Colombia. But he's gonna do it through his people, through his church in Colombia, Through the gospel being preached in Colombia, Through people being one, and saved, and then the principles of the Word of God begins to spread in the culture and in politics, and 50, 100 years from now, Colombia, who knows, Maybe be a well-developed, rich, prosperous country and free. That could happen. Why can't it happen? <laughs> Colombians any less than any other heathen people on the planet? No, they're the same as everybody else. If God did it elsewhere, you can do it anywhere else. Do it in Colombia. Do it in Puerto Rico. He'd do it anywhere. But he only does it through his people. That's how he does it. So we don't follow political agendas. We make the political agenda. We make the agenda. Because God is the ruler, Revelation, the ruler and the king of kings of the earth. Every ruler on earth and every king on earth has a king and his name is Jesus. Oh, but they don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter. I don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter you see I don't believe the sky is blue. It doesn't matter. The sky still blue. Truth is truth. It doesn't matter if you believe in it. So it's important for us to understand who we are, and who we are in Christ, and why we believe what we believe, and how we do not follow, and be careful of what we watch in the news and what we see, because we follow the Word of God. We don't follow political agenda. We're not to. Because we're God's church. Thank you, God, for your Word. Jesus, Thank you for your scripture. We Thank you, Lord, because you have been merciful to all of us, to all of humankind, whether Jew or Gentile or Greek, whatever. You have been merciful to all of us. And even in your judgments and even in your punishments, you're showing mercy because they cause to repentance and they show us your justice and mercy. We pray, Lord, that you may help us firm in your word Stand firm in your scriptures, Lord, and be an obedient people, Lord, that can bring a change upon this world wherever it may be, whether it be in Israel or in any other nation, Lord, where your people find themselves, whether in persecution or at peace, that you may use them, in Your glory, and for the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.